0: Good morning, PFB Purpose. Emmanuel, God with us. We read in Matthew chapter chapter 1, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. A young Indian brave at the age of 12, 13 had passed all his hunting skills. He'd passed his fishing skills and he learned how to do some scouting. But his last big test before he would be uh, proclaimed one of the younger uh, Indians, braves in his tribe, had to pass that final test. He was blindfolded and he was taken out in the middle of the forest, the dense forest, miles away from his tribe. And there at night, he removed his blindfold and fear just struck through his entire life and heart and mind because he'd been so used to the close community of that Indian family and village and tribe. He just couldn't wait till morning and when dawn finally came and those rays of light just kind of penetrated through the dense forest, he looked around, saw a few flowers and a path and he just prayed, oh, thank you. Oh God. As he began to start walking, he would looked behind him and he saw a figure behind a tree and there was his father with a bow and an arrow ready to protect him if anything had gone awry that night before. His father was with him and God is with you and I. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk, really wrestled with this issue and how it worked out in his life and heart. And he wrestled with it and wrote a fantastic and amazing read. If you haven't read it already, it's entitled Practicing the Presence of God. And in this very short book, he describes what it really looks like in everyday shoe leather to practice God's presence, to know that God is with us 24-7. You know, when, I, when we were uh, invited to share for a few moments uh, in the service today, I, I know for some reason I was drawn to Emmanuel, God is with us, this whole theme, this whole topic. It was probably somewhat selfish because I, I, I wrestle with this. And I, I, I'm so thankful for this truth, but I want to truly practice God's presence in my life and to, and to just live in such a way that I know He's with me. And that I'm honoring Him to the best of my ability in all that I do, all that I say, all that I think. As the Apostle Paul said, and I've got a long ways to go, bringing every thought under the submission of Christ. So it's a high calling. In our our outline this morning, we can see some of the things uh, that, that God said and that the prophets said and that the Apostles said. When Jesus calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4, Jesus Himself was in the stern He was with those disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, in giving the great commission, said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, the prayer of Jesus in John 17, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. I love this uh, verse in Proverbs 18 about friendship, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Paul says in Colossians 1, talking about the incomparable Christ, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And even David in Psalms 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, writes, in 1 John 4, For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And even in the areas of temptation, that Christ will al- always provide a way of escape. And we go down this list. Paul in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm probably preaching to the choir. We all know it. And that's where the wrestling and the grappling comes. Is are we really implementing it? I pray that my faith is not compartmentalized. I had some wonderful f- friends in our community come to our door the other day over the weekend, and they're from uh, the uh, church, or, or excuse me, they're from the uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Jehovah's Witness um, uh, friends, and we have had a great dialogue on our front porch. And I continued to just share with them the pursuit of really trying to know God and what that looks like. And I was just praying the whole time God would use me in some way to introduce them to the real real Christ, the real God. Even Isaiah and Jeremiah, even the Holy Spirit in these verses that are in front of us, remind us that, that He is with us, that He is in us. Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India, suffered from acute, prolonged loneliness and homesickness. The other missionaries tried to be kind to her, but they were busy, and they had their own interests, their own duties to perform. One day, Amy's condition became almost intolerable, and when her mail arrived, she ran into her house, into her bedroom. She locked the door behind her, and she knelt beside her bed. There she opened her letters, and she read them aloud, one by one, to her Heavenly Father. The gloom lifted and her loneliness vanished. She felt she now had a friend with whom to share her news, her experiences, her thoughts, and her prayers. Emmanuel, God is with us. He's always been there. He will always be here for us. And he promises to be there in the future. The encouragement, the challenge for us today is to live in light of that fact that he is with us, he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for this amazing and marvelous truth, one that, Lord, is worth wrestling with each day. And God, we thank you that it is a marvelous truth that wherever I'm at in life, I know that you are with me. Lord, if I'm taking a difficult test or exam or certification, if I've received really bad news about family or about my health, God, if my job is kind of going south or or, Lord, a friendship has, has dissolved, Lord, I know you are with me. And, Father, if, if I have fear in my heart today, I pray that you will replace it with peace. Father, if I have panic in my heart, I pray you'll replace it with hope. Father, if, I, if I'm experiencing uh, loneliness today, Lord, I pray you'll replace it with your presence. God, if I lack love and I have bitterness, Lord, again, replace that with love and forgiveness. God is with us, and we thank you for that truth. And, Lord, may we live in light of that to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Night fell like a blanket over the field. The air was cold and still. The shepherds huddled around a fire, some of them sleeping, some of that in that, in that groggy state between wake and sleep, others at full alert, guarding the lambs and the sheep against predators and against thievery. In the distance, a lamb bleated, blissfully content, unaware that it might be one of the sacrificial lambs for Passover time. And in that still cold darkness, suddenly a bright light appeared and the angel of the Lord stood before the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. and The shepherds were terrified. But the angel said, fear not. And immediately God's shalom peace covered the hearts of the shepherd. And the angel said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all people. For unto you this day is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The shepherds looked at one another in disbelief. This message to them, a Savior, Christ the Lord? And suddenly the sky became even more brilliant and it was filled with a multitude of heavenly hosts. And they gave glory to God and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. And the darkness returned as the angels left to heaven. And the shepherds looked at one another and they said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. And God's word tells us they went with haste. Immediately they went off to find the baby and they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. And God's word doesn't tell us this exactly, but in my mind's eye, I see those shepherds kneeling down before the baby Jesus and worshiping him. And God's word tells us they told all what the angels had told them, and everyone who heard them marveled at what was told them. But Mary treasured these things. And pondered them in her heart. The angels returned to their field glorifying and praising God. For all that they had heard. All that they had seen. Just as had been told them. And friends the word of God never fails. What God says he will do. He will do. And God promised long ago that he would send a savior. Christ the Lord. And in the womb of Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit supernaturally conceived this precious baby that came into the world as all children do, that grew up as all of us have done. Well, most of us. Except for one very important thing. This baby, this child, this man, never, ever sinned. And because he never sinned, He could go to a Roman cross some 2,000 plus years ago to pay the price for all the wrong things we thought, said, and done, which God's word calls sin. God's word tells us that Jesus took our sin and shame on him so that we could be forgiven. He took our lies. He took our shame. He took our gluttony. He took our gossip. He took our slander. He took our murder. He took our rape. He took our sin. And our shame upon himself, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As Pastor Glenn shared, last weekend, some 275 folks accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And last Tuesday night, the Divorce Care for Kids team and I had the privilege to pray with a 13-year-old girl and an 11-year-old boy to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And we saw the miracle that happens when Christ transfers someone from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son through his redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And this morning, may I ask you three questions On page four of your program. The first is. Have you heard? And if you worship here at Pomona First Baptist Church. You have to write yes. Because this church has been faithful to preach the word of God. Throughout the centuries. And Pastor Glenn each week preaches the truth of God's word. So you have to write yes. Now my next question is, have you seen, have you knelt as the shepherds did and seen Jesus for who he is and received him? And my prayer is that everyone in this room would be able to write yes. And my next question for you is, who are you telling? Because God didn't save us so that we can sit back and say, yes, I'm going to heaven. But God saved us so that we would share that good news with others. And this Christmas season, people are more open. In fact, those who aren't really familiar with Christianity are familiar with the Luke 2 story. So let us use that as a connection point. And I want to encourage you to write in your program the name of someone that God places on your heart that he wants you to share with this Christmas season. So can we be like the shepherds, hearing the word of God, the message that God loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He created you to live in relationship with him. But sin broke that relationship. And because of baby Jesus, who became the sacrificial lamb for us, we could be forgiven. And all of our sin and shame is wiped away. And we enter into that relationship with God. Who do you need to share that message with? Have you heard? Have you seen? And who are you telling? Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we bow before you and we acknowledge you as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Emmanuel, God with us. Father God, you are great, you are mighty, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, you are good, you are forgiving, you are merciful, you are compassionate. And this Christmas season, we bow before you and we acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior. And Father, in the quiet of our heart right now, we want to pray for that person that you have put on our mind and our heart. And we want to ask that you would give us the courage, you would give us the winsomeness, you would give us the love for this person that cares for them so much we don't want to see them step out into eternity without you. We love you, Father God, and we worship you this morning, and it's in your mighty name we pray, amen.
2: Well, when we think of the Christmas story, there are angels. There are angels that surround the Christmas story. And don't we just love hearing about them? They add some of the sparkle to the Christmas story, don't they? I mean, we love hearing about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But the Christmas story just gets revved up a little bit because there are divine angels in our midst at Christmas time. Now, babies often bring stories of delight and joy. But this story at Christmas time is a unique birth from all other births that have ever been. No longer is it just a new mom and a new dad and a new baby, but the whole thing radiates with a divine glow as angels begin to drop in and surround the entire event. Now, an angel appeared to a teenage Mary to let her know that she was with child. And again, another angel appeared to a confused and bewildered Joseph and reassured him that he should go forth and marry Mary, and that the child was from God. And then again, angels began to appear as that magnificent event happened, and that baby, baby Jesus, was born, and the heavens began to explode with angels. Scripture tells us in Luke 2, 8 through 15, that there were angels in our midst, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid.'" I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with that one angel, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. And then the, when the angels left them and went on to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, these mysterious beings, angels that come straight from heaven, they're part human, but not of this world. They're able to fly with wings jutting out of their backs, ready in a moment's notice to fly from heaven straight to earth and proclaim God's message. They serve as as God's messengers. They work directly for God, and they have a retirement plan that is out of this world. (laughs) Angels are terrifying, and they are magnificent. They live in the midst of the glory of God all the time. They radiate God's glory. They shine, and they sparkle, and they sing adoration to the Holy of Holies, and they speak direct messages from God. Angels angels reverently carry out the will of God, and repeatedly, angels have a consistent message from Scripture. They show up, and they say, "'Do not be afraid.'" You see, this God who created you wants to talk to you. He does not want you to be frightened of him. He has come to bring you a gift of goodness, of joy, of comfort, and of help. And when the heavens open and angels appear, God is about to reveal something big. Angels remind us that God speaks to mere mortals. God wants to be heard God has a message for all people. God wants to speak to you and to I. God invites us to be listening for the voice of God. Never had heaven been more excited to proclaim a message than at the birth of Christ. God was coming to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And this baby Jesus would bring joy to the world He would bring joy to you and I. He would bring joy everlasting, joy that can make you sing, joy that can give you strength, joy that does not make sense to this world. Joy has come. Joy to the world, our Savior is born. The long-awaited Messiah has come. At last, long last, our Deliverer is here. Now, births are critical times new beginnings when important breakthroughs take place for individuals, for families, for communities? Could it be that when angels proclaim the birth of heaven's hero, that God emptied out all of heaven to proclaim the good news? We know that one angel appeared to the shepherds and then was joined by the host of heaven, How many angels do you think it was that God sent to fill the sky and proclaim that message of joy to the shepherds that day? Some believe that his army included as many angels as there are stars in the sky. What if 17 trillion members of God's air force filled the atmosphere surrounding Bethlehem that night? We can understand why the glory of the Lord shone around them And they were terrified. And if all of the angels shouted for joy at the creation of the world, as Job 38.7 tells us, we can only imagine the cataclysmic joy, the roar of the angels at the birth of God's Son, Jesus. And you know, this mysterious realm is no less real than the visible realm. But often it's easy for us to mellow the moment or tame the angels we put them on top of our Christmas tree, or maybe we dress up children in angel costumes, or we have a little angel food cake. But angels are not tame. They are here momentarily and then gone as quickly as they came, and their message is always a proclamation from heaven. And this Christmas season, I want to invite you to join with the angels and proclaim boldly, joyously, the news that caused the sky to explode from with something that was never ordinary, never expected, something that was not expected to people who were not very extraordinary. To shepherds who were lonely and smelly and kind of apart from society, angels chose to drop into their midst and proclaim an extraordinary message. And you see, this is important because it means that God speaks to all people. It's not just the stars of the story, Mary and Joseph, but to the shepherds, to people who did not think that they were worthy. But you see, God is worthy, and because God is worthy, he wants to come and speak to each one of us, because the angels constantly proclaim, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And at Christmas time we celebrate that God's plan has been set in motion to have the Lamb of God be born. And oh, how fitting for the shepherds to get to hear that joyous proclamation by the angels that a shepherd, a shepherd to all people, was being born in their midst. The heavens beautifully opened to a bunch of unknown, non-important, regular Joe kind of shepherds this new shepherd was going to be born, and he would be a shepherd to regular Joes, regular Janes, just like you and I. The angels at Christmas time remind us to enter this season with joy. Have you had some moments to rejoice this Christmas season? Have you had some moments of adoration, of complete awe at this spectacular event that we get to celebrate The heavens exploded 2,000 years ago with joy, and it's fitting that my friend, who is my angel up here this morning, is named Joy. These creatures, strong and swift and subtle as wind, appear with simple yet life-altering planet-changing message. There is good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. And this Christmas season, I hope that you might, you just might, get to feel the brush of an angel's wings and hear the strains of a harp as you ascend with them to the throne of God, exalting, worshiping, rejoicing, and proclaiming with all of heaven, glory to God, joy to the world, our Messiah has come. God, we thank you for this incredible Christmas season where we get to proclaim the joy of the season. I thank you for the angels that not only help the season sparkle with awe in the divine, but that they remind us that this is a joy-filled event. And I pray for each one of us here this morning, for those watching all around the world, that we would be able to not get caught up in the busyness of the season, but just spend some moments in complete awe, complete joy, complete adoration, of the significance of you as Emmanuel, God in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: So so it's Christmas time, and this lady, she walks in the grocery store, and she picks up one of those canned hams. Remember those? Ugh, gooey and gelatin. She walks over to the clerk down the aisle, and she says, young man, and she says to him, I'd like to know if I could buy half of this canned ham clerk looks at her and says, half of the canned ham. Yes, sir. He says, let me take that over to the manager. And he rolls his eyes and he shakes his head, not realizing that she is following along behind him. So he walks over to the manager around the aisle and he says, hey, John, there's this wacko lady that wants to know if she can buy half of the canned ham. And he sees her out of the corner of his eye and nervous, but quickly, he adds, and this wonderful lady would like to buy the other half of the canned ham. Uh, my mom said it well. Son, if you don't have anything good to say, say it with me. Don't say anything at all. I was preaching at a church not too long ago, and I finished the sermon, and I thought I'd do something kind of cool, so I finished my prayer in Spanish. Everyone came up to, you know, they do the churchy thing. Oh, pastor, thank you for being here. It was a nice sermon, et One Hispanic lady comes up to me, and she said, hermano, brother. She said, hermano, did you realize that you made a couple of grammatical um, mistakes in your spanish prayer and i looked at her and i said hermana i wasn't talking to you anyway <laughs> no i no i didn't say that what well, may have thought it or did i no i can't i can't remember that silent night when we think back to the time but we're talking about that moment when uh, jesus was born but i gotta tell you something to me that night was anything but silent wouldn't you agree The birth of a baby coming into this world. A mom crying in pain and agony from that birth. Giving that birth to her firstborn. uh, Joseph, as he takes that little baby, can you imagine baby Jesus, the infant? And as Joseph slaps that little behind, and for the first time, air enters, oxygen enters into that little baby's lungs. And he cries out, almost as if to say, I am here, I am alive. And I love the idea of those angels, that one who speaks to the shepherds and says, For unto you is born this day. I love the idea of thinking that maybe he's speaking in the second person plural, that when he's doing that, he's talking to all the world. For unto you is born this day. For unto you is born this day. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what about that great backup choir? I mean, you see some wonderful things here. But man, that must have been amazing for the, for the shepherds to watch those angels say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to all men. That's got to be an amazing thing. And yet the shepherds go back. And what do we see? The next day, there they are telling that story. The Messiah is here. God has answered our prayer. He is here. The Messiah is here. And I think that's amazing. The next day, they probably continue to tell that story. But the next week goes by, and the next week goes by. You know what? Two years later, there's still no Messiah. And an angel appears to Joseph and tells him, take your wife and your baby and go to Egypt. And they vanish. Years go by, continue to go by. And you imagine, I imagine that some of that hope, that promise, that answer that the Messiah is here begins to fade. Don't you think? I can see them when the shepherds come up their way along the road. Oh my gosh, here come the shepherds. Oh yeah, you know, and then they start to proclaim that message again. But imagine over the years, people saying, you know what, hey, shepherd dude, you know, okay, I'm not sure that's in the Greek, but you know what I'm saying. Shepherds, you know what, Mr. Shepherd, we get it. Man, the Messiah is here. God has answered his promise, but we've been waiting and waiting and nothing. Think about that. They understand and they realize that in Bethlehem, or actually throughout the history of Israel, there have been kings that have come and gone, and they've been wait- they have waited time and time again, and yet nothing has happened. And so for them, it becomes this, this moment where they just continue to think after 10 years and 20 years, 30 years, even as Jesus is a man and grown up, you would think that he would assume his place in the, as a, a king in Israel. They understand that before a baby infant who's destined to become a king, they understand that he has to step out of his diapers before he can step into the kingdom. And yet they wait, and they wait, and they wait. You know, for me and you, I think waiting is that tough part, right? For anything that happens to us. It's a combination of time and and silence because maybe you don't have answers, or you're not you have more questions than you do answers and that weighs upon you. I think there are moments for some of us where you feel as though things have happened in your life and you have regrets and then because of those regrets, how would I say it, things they, they etch, they, they wear at you, they wear at your heart, things like maybe, th- maybe things that you regret that you didn't do or you should have done or you could have done. John Grief John Wow uh, Whittier Greenleaf once said that for all sad things of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. It might have been. And because time has caused you to wait and wait and wait, God's promise has suddenly become a question mark that etches into your heart. When will he ever deliver? When will he ever come through? On the flip side, there may be some of you here that for you, life has been comfortable. You've been successful, had a wonderful marriage, your kids, oh, you couldn't ask for any, anything better. And maybe your uh, retirement, your port- portfolio is, is at its best. And yet for you, maybe that promise has faded because you don't really need Jesus until you need him. Or when you come into the sanctuary on a Sunday, And that promise that unto you is born this day has faded into the background of your mind. I don't know, I sometimes get on the freeway at Gary. Some of you do that at the 10. And you know, there's a homeless person almost always that's at the stoplight. And the light turns red and I arrive at that intersection and I'm there waiting for the light to turn green and there is that person with that sign, we'll work for food. Homeless. Anything will help. God bless you. And for those 60 seconds, I am filled with compassion. My window goes down and I hand that dollar or two. I may even say a prayer. And yet, when the light turns green, doesn't this happen to us? As the light turns green and I pass that person, that compassion fades from my heart. And I move on to the next important thing that I have to do. Did that ever happen to you? You know, I, I think when I, when I think about this compassion... I think about how God steps in and he came to us when he came to us on that wonderful night. The words seem different to me now as I think about it. Maybe what he really meant was for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord and he came to save those who live in chaos, whose heart is tumbling downward or for those who live in comfort who need to remember who the Savior is. When I was a kid, I remember we living in Los Angeles, the trolley, the streetcar used to run in Los Angeles. Maybe that dates me, I guess. But I remember we would head on down, and our family used to take that trolley, that streetcar, from where we lived on First Street into downtown L.A. I thought that was really cool, and it's been since ripped out and replaced by modern Metro. But I remember that the boys, uh, the local boys, used to head on down to the, the tracks when When they were bored in the summer, and they would press those their coins, do you remember? They would press those coins, and the coins would get flat like a pancake, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And one day, I snuck off with the big boys, and I took my penny, because that's all I had, and I went down with them, and there we were, and we were there watching, and I didn't see any trains coming along, but one boy, as we stood at the curb talking with one another and goofing around, one boy, he began to go forward, he got down on his knees, And he put his head to the rail. And he began to put his head down. He lifted his head up. He put his head down again, lifted it up. Meanwhile, everyone's talking still. And he put his head down one more time. And then he stood up and he said, the train's here. And everybody began to walk forward to the tracks. And they began to put their coins down. I thought that was amazing. and I didn't realize. I looked around for the train, I didn't see it. And all of a sudden, I began to hear this faint sound. It was the rumble of the train. And again since I even though I couldn't see it there it was coming around the track and it came and it began to press and smash those quarters and those wonderful quarters into those flat little pancakes. I thought that was amazing. Here was the thing that I learned about that. You know what made it different or separated him from being able to tell that the train was coming? It was because he was connected to the train by the track, the rail And for him, when he stood up and he said, the the train is here, was it actually here? No. But was it coming? Yes. So for him, it was here, and it was arriving at the same time. I hope that reminds us, for some of us, when you live in chaos, that sometimes we get crowded over by the things that happen in our lives, and we get absorbed into them, and we need to remember, maybe not physically on our knees... Seems like the the older I get, too, the further away that floor gets. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, maybe within our hearts, we could spend time on our knees listening for that train. Even in your chaos, even in the comfort of your life, as we bend down and we listen, maybe within our hearts, and we put our ears to the track, and we would hear things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for good. Plans for an amazing life. Not for evil. Don't be afraid of this world. For I have overcome. Things will happen to you. Things will be difficult at times. But don't be afraid. For I have overcome the world. Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for that amazing story. Lord, and for us, maybe that's faded away. maybe it's just become a pageant or a concert. And Lord, I pray that as we are remembering this moment, this time, that we would approach you with bended knee and we would put our head to your Holy Spirit, which is connecting to you, connected to you, Lord. And we would say, thank you, Lord, because for unto me is born on this day, a savior for my life. In the middle of my chaos, or in the middle of my comfort, Lord.
4: And I thank you. Amen. Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, it was talked about. In Isaiah, he writes this, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I mean, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, There's this birth announcement that God gives to make sure, hey, I want to make sure that you recognize the one who's to come. Can you imagine being one of the shepherds that the angel comes and says, okay, there's this big news that's happening. I don't know if you've seen throughout all of the land. Caesar Augustus has told everyone, go home and register. He's taken the census. See, it's weird how from our perspective we see this. And it's an interruption in life, and yet over here on God's side of it, God says, I'm going to move heaven and earth. I'm going to move heaven and earth in order to accomplish my will. In Luke chapter 2, we see that Caesar Augustus had this idea in mind to create this census so that people would code back to their homeland so that he could count how many were in his empire. See, in his mind, it was his idea, but in reality, it was God's moving. See, either God is sovereign or he isn't. Either God is in control or he is not. Sometimes, think about it, the ideas that we come up with, God is saying, I'm actually sovereign over those things. So if I have to move every person on this planet to accomplish what I want, well, what does they need to accomplish? The baby has to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the problem. Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth. That's 70 miles away from the target. So what does God do? Hey, God you should have, you should count the people. I should count the people. You should make them go back to their homeland. I want them to go back to their homeland. From God's perspective, this is necessary, and yet from Mary's perspective, this is what? This is uncomfortable. I mean, think about it, it's one thing to travel. 70 miles up to 90 miles up to 100 miles depending on the route that they went it's one thing to travel in your car pregnant it's another thing to travel that far on the back of a donkey pregnant what was uncomfortable to Mary was part of the plan of God discomfort does not mean that it's not part of God's plan God may be sovereign over everything, but from what I see in scripture, and it's not just this passage, but from what I see, kind of the totality of scripture, God has the plan, but he'll make us take the hike. That there are times where it will be uncomfortable and we won't understand this side of heaven. But centuries later, don't we look at this story and just think and go, goodness gracious God, you are in control. You put it on the heart of a pagan king to count the people of his empire, to make sure that the Messiah was born where he was supposed to be born. Uncomfortable to a family, yes. Necessary for the prophecy, absolutely. And all of it, guys, think about how often are we interrupted. And if we were to stop and ask God, hey, what is your plan? What is your perspective? He might actually say, the time of being uncomfortable and the interruption is necessary for what I want to do. When we, were, when we were taught how to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. It doesn't seem like it's yours and mine. It doesn't seem like the plan is actually his plus mine. God, whatever you want, whatever it costs me, whatever is necessary that your planning, your purpose is what comes about, then that's what it is that I want. And yet no one would have been thinking, hey, this must be the time of the Messiah. People are just going to their hometown to register, they're not noticing a young lady who's pregnant, who's about ready to give birth, who can't find a room in the inn, quote unquote, but has to, has to give birth out in the stable. Probably not a stable, but it's probably just this cave that's, that's, that's dug out of the mountain on the side. Not a hospital room, nothing comfortable. And I know we picture hay. He had sweet golden hay. I don't know about you. I can't stand hay. It's not comfortable. It's, it itches. It's just scratching you all the time. But the king comes to the the king of the universe comes to the earth and what's his bed? A trough. He picks a trough. See, it's not like Jesus came and became humble and then he went back and now he is just God in charge. We have a God who is humble. We have a God who desires to serve us and it it's part of his character. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at the exact imprint of the nature of God. That he has always been like that. And this message is given to these shepherds, the first ones to get to hear about this little baby. It says, oh, by the way, there's this baby that's born. Yeah, go and you're going to find him. He's going to be wrapped in these little claws. And he's, oh, by the way, he's lying in a trough. That'll be a perfect sign because there's not a lot of people in that day that's like, there's the trough. Put your baby in that. Yeah. No, that's what you're going to find. And that's the one. Yeah. That's the one that was promised hundreds of years before that maybe the maybe these shepherds as they're hearing these words going, wait, wait, wait. I remember in Old Testament, I want that this is what it was for unto us a child is born for us to a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I'm convinced of that verse, and I don't understand it. I, don't, I will never understand it, but the totality of somehow the Trinity represented right there. Where did I come up with that? Wonderful Counselor is that counselor, what, God, what Jesus uses as the title for the Holy Spirit. This Wonderful Counselor is Mighty God. Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And so what comes with the Prince of Peace? The message of peace. Verse 14 in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those whom his favor rests. Whew. Glory to God in the highest. That means there is no one and nothing as high As God, there is no one and nothing sitting next to him that he is in charge. How did he move heaven? He moved the stars so that the wise men would find him at a specific point, a specific time. God moved heaven and earth. That is the most impressive birth announcement ever. And he did it to proclaim his coming hundreds of years before. And now, here it is. And what did the the angels say? Not one, but a multitude. It doesn't say how many of the multitude. What if all of them showed up? Because isn't isn't this the greatest news? Glory to God in the highest. Oh, and on earth, peace. Ah. But what do we do until then? Like for right now, how do we apply that for us? The same way they did then. Can you imagine having to wait for the Messiah that there's this 400 year period of silence and you're going, God, where are you? Where are you? What's going on? I mean, I'm following, I'm, I'm looking for you in all these situations. I'm trying to find you in my everyday life, but where are you? So what do we do? You been there? What do we do? The same way or the same thing that everyone else did. Before the Messiah came, it's the one word: wait. Isaiah says this in chapter forty. And I'll close with this: Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Anybody there? Empowered to the weak. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, but they who wait, but they who wait will. Here's the promise. Circle it. But they who wait will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What do we do? We wait. It doesn't mean we cower over in a corner. We just get down. Oh, I hope it ends. I hope it ends soon. Life is hard. No, no, no. We know that because God is in the highest, that no one is by him or around him. He is in ultimate charge, complete control, because he is the sovereign God of the universe. We don't sit and cower back. No, 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 matter, no matter what we're facing, no matter how hard it is, no matter what comes our way, we say, no, no, because I know God, because I know he has me, I'm going to stand right here, and I'm going to wait on God because... because... Because God is faithful. (laughs) Friends, that's the peace. That's the peace. Jesus, we thank you. You changed everything. And we can't pay you back. And I thank you that you have never asked us to. I just thank you, God, that you gave. You gave yourself for us that we could know you. Christmas is unbelievable. And so Jesus, again, as I said it last week, I say it again this week, Jesus, happy birthday. But thank you that you gave us gifts on your day. You gave us yourself. God, may that never, ever get old. God, as we give you praise, as we sing to you, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, Amen.
5: Christmas is almost here, right? What, four days away? Uh, Now, how many of you guys would say that Christmas is the most stressful season there is? I mean, that's... That is me. Uh, and not only that, Christmas this year, at this point, uh, I am in the midst of the most stressful uh, season, I would say, of my life. Now, uh, it all began about two months ago. Uh, and I was working. Now, I, I do some uh, woodwork, and I, and I uh, build furniture and do some other construction stuff. And I was in my garage, uh, and I was actually stripping paint off of a uh, a metal rack for my truck. Get all the paint stripped off. It's it's late. Uh, I work way too late into the, in the night. And I'm like, I just got to go to bed. And I take the rag and I, I toss it on the trash can and I go to bed. Didn't even think twice. <laughs> uh, three in the morning it hits and all of a sudden there was an earthquake. And I was like, what was, what was that? And, and my wife wakes up and she looks at me and she says, I think that was an earthquake. And so, uh, we both pop out of bed and we go grab our son out of his crib and bring him into the into the bed just in case, you know, there's an aftershock. Now, uh, <laughs> the aftershock hits. And I'm like, there's no way that was an earthquake. So I, I, I get up and I walk down the hallway and I look out the window, just to make sure like you know the earth isn't blowing up. And, uh, and you know, uh, nothing's happening. And so I lay back down and a few minutes go by and all of a sudden I hear on my front door. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Get the knife. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, th- I thought it was uh, left behind and I, th- I thought we were left behind. No. No. Uh, <laughs> Now, <laughs> all of a sudden, pounding on the door, and I'm like, "Okay." I, I grab my my shirt. I I, I don't even I didn't even put on uh, put on shoes, and I, I go to the door and I open it up, and it's my neighbor. He's in his boxers, and he's like, "Bro, your garage is on fire. <laughs> Get out here!" I'm like, ah. "I don't know." If, I don't know if any of you guys are like emergency people, but everything goes into, like, 9 million miles per hour. I'm like, "Ah, where's water? Water! What is water? Uh, (laughs) So I go running outside, and, and, you know, I get the garden hose, and, and in my front yard... (laughs) <laughs> this is cute. Uh, I have one of those like curly hoses that like go like seven feet and have about as much water pressure as like a little spray bottle. Uh, and so I go running out there with it, like I'm gonna do something. And I, you know, I, I go, and it's like, <laughs> like a flower comes out of it, like it's a cartoon. Uh, and so uh, we, you know, I'm like, I'm like sitting there, and someone, okay, literally. The entire neighborhood is outside, okay, watching the fireworks go off. Uh, and so I'm spraying. A guy's yelling from across the street, it's not doing anything. Uh, I'm like, neither are you. Okay, now, uh, my other neighbor goes, runs, and grabs a hose. We, we both start spraying it. Uh, and Then all of a sudden, a, a, this black truck pulls up with, like, a three-foot fire extinguisher and it just sprays the whole thing, puts it out. Uh, and fire department gets there, uh, walk in, they're like, oh, you caught this just in time. There was no, uh, structural damage to the framing. So you, you don't need an inspector to come out. Uh, but we've been cleaning it up since, right? Uh, and now if you're wondering what, what the heck was the earthquake, that was Jesus telling me to wake up. No, uh, that was, uh, that was my garage door. The, so the, the, the fire started right here. Uh, And the trash can went up and it went up a a bookshelf uh, full of paint and spray cans and all that fun stuff and burnt uh, the cable on the garage, snapped it, garage door fell off. That was the first shake. Second shake was the other one snapping off. Uh, So without that happening, we would be in a wreck. But uh, now I'm just stressed out though, right? I feel like I've been behind on everything for the last like two months and Christmas, you know, it just it's, it's hitting me hard this year. So, uh, but despite that, I'm still excited. Uh, now, here, here's the thing. There's excitement around Christmas. There's, there's this, this hope for something. For kids, you know, it's a hope for Santa. Uh, th- actually, you know what? I feel like the best way to show you guys what I mean, well... <laughs> Yes. Uh, So yesterday, uh, we took my son to the zoo to see Santa Claus. And uh, (laughs) that is Christmas cheer, right? Uh, (laughs) and, And so that is one extreme of like, I fear Santa Claus. He was crying like three feet away. So most of us are between those two extremes, right? During Christmas season, it's like, I just, I, I got to get through this. And this like, oh, yeah. Uh, and most most often, I find that Christmas becomes problematic, becomes hard, becomes very difficult uh, for a lot of us. Uh, now, we start asking a bunch of these questions. Like, am I loved? Does someone care for me? When, you go, when we go to uh, these family parties and it's like a train wreck, we're like, is my family insane? Uh, but, I mean, even deeper questions like that, that come to the surface is, is God still active? And does God care? Is God still active? And does God still care? Uh, and I think that the, uh, the Christmas story addresses that beautifully. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be flying through this, we get... Um, we get two characters: we get a guy named Zechariah and a girl named Elizabeth, uh, married, and they're uh, well along in their age. Uh, Elizabeth is unable that, to be a child, uh, and uh, they've been they've been trying, they've been trying, uh, praying and praying and praying. Uh, God hasn't spoken to the Israelites in about 400 years; he's been silent, and they've been praying and praying and praying, and haven't heard from God. Uh, in verse 13 is where we're going to jump in. Zechariah is going into the temple to do his, uh, his priestly duties. He's going in there, he's burning some incense, he's going to uh, do a sacrifice, he's, he's there, he's, he's there to do his job. And I imagine it—it it, kind of got gotten monotonous. Like you know, we're gonna go in. We're not gonna hear from God, and we're gonna come out. And then the next week, I'm gonna wake up. God's not gonna answer my prayer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be back where I am. And so Zechariah uh, he went in that day, but the angel—and he's confronted <laughs> with something that he didn't expect to see. And, and so we'll jump in. Uh, Then, an angel of the Lord, verse 11, uh, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he walks in, boom, angel. Did not expect to see that. Uh, And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, and I bet he was. Uh, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Uh, What prayer? You know, uh, It's about to answer. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. That prayer that you've been praying over and over and over again. That prayer that you've been praying with no hope. That prayer that you've that you've almost just kind of just just been throwing Hail Marys to God. God, if you're real, just answer me. It's been heard. Your wife is going to give you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, For he will be, a, be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And then it goes on to say about, talk about how he's going to bring back Israel to the Lord. He's going to be a part of a bigger story. That's going to go on. A part of the Messiah coming. You know the the, the Jews at this time. Had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And it almost became like a fairy tale I imagine. That the Messiah would show up. And Zechariah is there. Standing there. Getting to be a part of it. Standing there to get a little bit of hope. In a time where that's exactly what he needed. Uh, we're going to jump down to verse 25 and it says this, the Lord, and this is Elizabeth talking, the Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The Lord came in in a big way. The Lord came to bring hope when people were feeling hopeless and during this time of year there are a lot of you guys that could be sitting out there right now that could be feeling hopeless friends <clears throat> when God is silent just like in this story it doesn't mean he's still when God is silent it doesn't mean he's not moving when God is silent, I want, I mean, this is it. You've got to remember this this year. When you're praying, when you're praying, when you're praying, and it's just not turning out the way you thought it should. When God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's still. We have a God, we serve a God, we worship a God that is still on the move, that is still doing big things today. And my prayer for you During this Christmas season, is that you can experience a little bit of the hope that comes from a big God. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for being a God that that can pull off the miraculous, that will pull off the miraculous. Jesus, thank you for being a God that is still moving today. I pray that this Christmas season is full of footprints in our lives, of you doing your work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
6: just want to wrap things up now with uh, the real theme of the morning has been that the reason why the cradle of Christmas has impact is because of the cross and the crown. We've been celebrating at Christmas the cradle, but really it's only meaningful if there's a cross that follows the cradle. Matthew 121, right at the beginning of the story, when the angel is talking to Joseph, says, she'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus in the Greek is the same word as Joshua in the Old Testament Hebrew. It means the Lord saves. So from the very moment the Christmas story begins, it talks about the fact that Jesus came to die on the cross so that he could save us. First Timothy 1, Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You know, we don't like to think of the term repentance. We don't use it very often. It's not typical for when we're talking about Christmas, but it's very much a part of the Christmas story. Luke 13, verse 3, Jesus said, but unless you repent... That is change, 180 degrees, turn towards God, away from living our life on our own. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Acts 17, God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto a man or a woman once to die, and after this the judgment. Now, how do you repent? How do you prepare for that? Psalm 51, David said, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. We, in reaction to the cross and the cradle, we break our hearts so that we can open our heart to receive Him as our Savior and Lord. And that leads to the crown. The crown of Jesus after the resurrection, you have the cradle of Christmas, you have the cross of Good Friday. And you have the crown of resurrection Easter Sunday. And then the hope of his second coming. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And all God's family said, amen. Now I want to give you a chance to break your heart open in repentance so that you can receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you look on the next page in the upper left-hand corner, it talks about the Three steps to be a follower of Jesus. And then there's a little suggested prayer there. I'm going to pray it out loud. And I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. Last weekend, we saw 275 people pray this prayer to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In the in response to the Christ of Christmas, they repented. They broke their heart. They opened their heart. They broke it so they could open it and receive the Christ of Christmas. And I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer, and at the end of the service when we're done, uh, there's a gift that we would love to give you, a Christmas packet. It's available at the guest center on the south end of the lobby or at the north end of the lobby. And if you pray this prayer right now as a Christmas gift from our church to you, we'd love to give you some resources to help you in your new walk with God. And so I invite you to pray silently now as I pray out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free Christmas gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.